Welcome back to yet another episode of the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Catherine McLeod and joining me today to review not just the grand final, but the 2020 season as a whole is Liam. How are you? Uh, well, we discussed this briefly before the podcast. Reeling is my reaction. Um, so I'm looking forward to this because it's been a big week, a uh, big build up to the grand final and a big reaction following it too. Tell you what, I think we're all reeling watching Dustin Martin just dominate Geelong in that second half. Oh, goodness gracious me. I tell you what, he could do, I would not be surprised if he could do anything really, really well. He's just that good at football. If he puts his mind to anything, he can probably achieve the same level of success in that thing. Finding a cure to cancer, he could probably do that and really excel at it. I'm not sure where it was that I heard it, but I think it was uh, Mark Williams, mm. uh, the former Port Adelaide coach who was at Richmond a couple of years ago, who said that Dustin Martin, he was he was with Dustin Martin at some point. I can't remember. What, I think he came around to his place and they were playing table tennis, I think it might have been. And Dustin Martin was just getting absolutely shellacked by, I think, Mark Williams' kids. So mm. that's one thing which I, if I remember correctly... Dustin Martin is not too good at table tennis. So I fancy myself against him we in that. Fa- we finally found it. We have found something Dusty is not good at. There you go. But I tell I'm you what, the challenge okay. out there to him. I'll take Every- him on in the game of table tennis. <laughs> Every- that to decide the 2021 premiership between Geelong and Collingwood. Uh, sorry, Richard and Collingwood. It will be a table <laughs> tennis battle. Um, no. Uh, in all seriousness, though, the first section of this podcast will review the grand final and the second half will review the season first off the grand final liam i'll start with you what went well for richmond yet again three flags in four years they were challenged at times but they found just another gear the tigers in that in that third quarter especially yeah i think i think that's really where it went really well for Richmond, um, that second half. I mean, you know, they got two goals in the first five minutes, which for me, I think was the major thing, um, you know. And also they, they scored one right on the back end of the uh, second quarter. So they pulled it back to 15 points at half time, which was, I think, considering how good Geelong were in the second quarter, uh, very impressive to only be that far down. And then, yeah, they kick-started that, th- that third quarter extremely well. Two goals in the first five minutes. And then they just built from there. Got one, I think, late in the third quarter, which I think gave them the lead, if I remember correctly. And then the last quarter, you know, they just never really let Geelong get within touching distance, I think. For me, what went well for the Tigers, two words here and one name. Dusty. Martin. It's interesting. Paddy messaged me afterwards and he, he calculated being the fanatical Richmond fan that he is, calculated the average disposal and goal tally that Dustin Martin has had since 2017 in every final that he's played in for the Tigers. And I think if I remember properly, he's good for about 22 disposals and two goals per finals. Now, obviously, there are some where he has less disposals. Like in last year's qualifying final, he kicked, he had 14 touches only, but he kicked six goals. 
and then there are some where he kicks less goals, but he has more disposals. This game, in such a low-scoring encounter, you take away Dusty's score, and all of a sudden it's a close, close, tight finish in the end. Right? Take away his four goals, all of a sudden, whoa. Targets are back to within seven points, and they're gettable. But he was the one who brought Richmond back into the game. In the second quarter, they were struggling. Geelong were dominating. <laughs> and his first goal of the night was just... <sighs> it was something that would have made angels weep. It was that beautiful. It would have made Jesus cry, I reckon. It was just that unbelievable. Oh, this is stuff that football highlight reels are made out of are moments like that. He's a football highlight reel machine. Un- yeah. Just unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, when they put him in the dictionary in 10 years' time, it will literally say human highlight reel. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Human highlight reel. <laughs> Definition. Dustin Martin. Dustin Martin. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. But I think for me as well, that momentum carried Richmond for and once again for the second finals meeting between these two teams in a row Geelong were unable to stop the tiger tsunami in that second half last year in the second half the tigers kicked I believe eight goals to two to win that prelim final this time round nine goals to two yeah says it all says it all now to discuss the flip side of that for every grand final winner there has to be a loser unless both teams aren't good enough to win in which case then there's a draw (laughs) talking to you Collingwood 2010 let's discuss Geelong what went so wrong for them because arguably they were the form team coming into this game what the heck happened yeah I mean you know I think everyone, well, not everyone, but let's be real. I think most people probably still would have had Richmond as their favourite just because I think, you know, a team that's won two premierships in the previous three years are going to be a favourite coming in. But Geelong on form were definitely, you know, right up there. They were probably the the most capable team to be playing Richmond, I think. Um, And I think, you know, we can look at that second half and say that was obviously the, the big issue for Geelong. But I think... Had they actually capitalised on that second quarter more, that would have made the game different because they were all over Richmond in that second quarter. Um, you know, and they got out to a 21-point lead, but I think at halftime, like I said, Richmond got a late goal, which brought it back to 15 points. And that just kind of breathes a bit of life back into Richmond, I think, that late goal. Had Geelong been able to you know, get out to a 30-point lead at halftime as opposed to the 15-point lead, I think this would have been a completely different game. I think... You know, 30 points would be pretty demoralising to Richmond. I think at that point they'd be, you know, they wouldn't be out of it by no means. They're a team that, you know, fight back no matter what. But I think it would have taken them much more than five minutes in the second quarter, in the third quarter to be back within, a you know, a goal. It would have probably taken them the best part of at least a quarter, quarter and a half. And instead of the blowout, which we ended up having, we would have had, you know, what would have probably been a very tight contest so I think that second quarter was the main issue for Geelong. They should have capitalised on that more. Still think it's a pretty close game when you look at it overall. 
mean, Final yeah, Margin beat It was a good game. It was a good game. I just think that, you know, by the end, those last five, ten minutes, it just kind of blew out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, fair call. Fair call. Kind of like the 2016 grand final, right? You had a close game between yeah. the two and then the dogs just kicked away in the final five minutes. Same thing with the Tigers yeah. in this one. Yeah, I agree. And look, it's, I'm not, it's, okay. It's, it's harsh for me to point fingers at just one player in particular. And it's not, I'm, not saying that it's solely this person's fault because Geelong in that, I'm just double checking here in that second quarter kicked three goals, three, any of those three behinds, they kick a goal instead of behind in those instances. It would have been a lot harder for the Tigers to come back Mm. like they did in the second half, as you just mentioned, but Brian Myers, you take a mark. I believe it's about 40 meters out or so more or less directly in front and you play on and you miss. Why? Mm. I don't understand the modern, and I'm going to sound like Jason Dunstall here, but less angry. (laughs) I promise. I don't understand why today's players don't just go back, take your 30 seconds and unless I'm mistaken, I remember that inst- I remember that instance being towards the end of the quarter as well. So that would have taken time away from Richmond to hit back like they did at the end of that. My dogs are barking. They agree with me. But the point that I'm bringing up here is just go back, take your 30 seconds, and make sure you kick the goal. Because in footy, you don't get points for how fancy you are when you kick a goal. You don't get points for elegance or style. This is not synchronized swimming. This is not Olympic diving. Okay? After you kick a goal, you don't turn to the panel of judges and they hold up massive so <laughs> paper with a number on it, adjudicating you a score. Okay? Nobody's awarding you 10 points for how fancy you... The only, Literally, the only time where fanciness counts towards, you know, counts in terms of like awarding an award is goal of the year and mark of the year. That's already been adjudicated. Congratulations, Dacos. Just go back and just kick a drop punt. It's supposed to be the easiest kick in football. It's supposed to be the first kick that people learn when they learn footy. Right, you learn how to do a drop punt. Yeah. And he, he, he made up for it in the third quarter by kicking that great goal. But, geez, I just wonder if he kicked that goal, what momentum would have done for Geelong in that second half? One of the great what-ifs. One of the great what-ifs. I mean, there's always a couple every grand final, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Sure yep. is. That was the moment. I mean, for a, as a Collingwood fan, believe me, I know what what ifs are like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I think I... that 2018 grand final is filled with about 20 of them. <laughs> so I'm not going to go into them, but I know what the what ifs are like when it comes to grand final day. That's for sure. I oh geez, sorry. Every single time that you mention Collingwood, I'm just reminded of that YouTube song. I love it when <laughs> Collingwood choke. 
It's football's greatest joke. They've lost more grand finals than any other. Anyways, moving on. Next topic. Will the grand final be held at night or during the day in 2021? Liam, I want to ask your opinion on the nighttime grand final. What did you make of it? I mean, the game itself was very good. I don't think anyone's going to deny that. It was a pretty damn good game. Um, I, for me personally, I think the wait is just a little too long. Uh, I got to probably late afternoon and I was thinking, where's the football? I was just kind of like wandering about my house being like, I'd really love a, a match of football right about now. I'm like, it's a shame I've got to wait another couple of goddamn hours before I get that fix. Uh, now I'm not going to get that fixed for many months, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but I think for me, the nighttime grand final, um, you know, I think it was worth testing out. I think it, you know, has, I still think it probably has a lot of potential to work. And, you know, let's be real, 2020 is a year for trialing things because the, the usual system has been, you know, completely thrown out the door with everything that's happened this year. Um, but I'm all down for, you know, experimenting further and going and trying a Twilight game because I, I love Twilight football personally. Um, I haven't been to many Twilight games, but I love the experience of watching them when I do, both on TV and in person. So I'd love to see a Twilight Grand Final given a test in the next couple of years as well. Twilight Grand Final would be interesting. Twilight Grand Final would be very interesting. Especially at the MCG. Arthur G is beautiful at Twilight. I'll say this, I don't know if the G, if you'll get the same kind of light show that the Gabba put on, but I don't think the G is that kind of ground. Um, That being said, though, I liked it. I liked the nighttime grand final, which is shocking because I used to be the type of staunch traditionalist, which was like, no, they're changing too much about the game. You know, they brought in the 666 rule. Now they're trying to take our beloved daytime grand final away from us. And yet the thing that I realized is, is that change isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? And if traditionalists had won back in the 1980s, when the league tried to expand out of Victoria, clubs would have folded under the financial pressure. Clubs would have, they would have been gone. They would have been gone. And now, this is truly a national competition, although it will be truly national when we get a team in Tasmania and a team in the Northern Territory. But more or less, it's a, it's a truly national yeah. competition, right? So, I think as well, looking, looking at the comments on Facebook and comments on social media, I think a lot of people didn't like the pre-game entertainment. I didn't. Uh, I didn't think that and undoubtedly they're talented but the AFL and the NRL both had this problem uh, that it's the wrong tempo we don't need mid-tempo or slow songs for a grand final right? and give me some of that me- opera before the grand final uh, <laughs> I need that ballroom dancing speed <laughs> look, I, liked, I liked the national anthem performance and I liked halftime you know Geronimo is a great song so yeah. say Geronimo, say Geronimo. Song. I've been singing that to myself since that since that halftime show. It's a great <laughs> song. I've added that to my playlist in the Spotify. shower, 
in the toilet. Oh, in bed, absolutely. Oh, one having dinner. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Walking the dogs. No, I'm just kidding. I don't want my dogs. But I think that if the grand final performances were better pre-game, then people's opinions would be a lot friendlier towards the nighttime grand final. Because I think a lot of people were like, oh, yeah, sure, we waited all day and into the evening for this. <laughs> Get the killers back. I mean, Bring back the killers. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the game purely on, you know, the time frame it was shown, not so much the entertainment, you know. The entertainment, you know, that, that's very much opinion, you know. Um, I mean, everything that we're discussing right now is opinion, obviously, but... Yeah, like I said, for me, the, the game itself, I just think, was a bit too late. I think 7.30, you know, for us here in Victoria, 6.30 for those um, at, in Brisbane, and obviously all over the, the world for those people like yourself who are, you know, outside the country. It's all sorts of different times. But, um, I mean, for you, it was shown at what? Uh, it was great. 1:30? It was 12, 12.30. It was fantastic. 12.30. It was great. Yeah. No I early mean, wake just, up. Yeah, I mean, you're pretty much in a traditional time slot there, you know, an hour or two before the game. You're pretty much watching it as if it was the normal time frame. Which um, I love. No no waking up at 6 a, 6.30, 7 a.m. to go halfway yeah. across the bar to watch a grand final. But, yeah, I, I think that, you know, like you said, you know, the, the entertainment does actually play a big part in many people's opinion of just the grand final itself. So maybe, you know, some people are, you know, are, are ranking it off of the wrong reasons in many regards. Interesting. Interesting. I also, okay. I want to ask your opinion about this too. I feel like the grand final entertainment gets slammed no matter who it is, right? Because you have on one side people who want only like current stuff. So when you have like Paul Kelly or hunters and collectors a few years ago, they're like, no, where's Sia? Where's, (laughs) You know, Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran. <laughs> and then when young artists Imagine do him perform, at the MCG singing, oh my goodness. Then when, then the when young artists do, report, uh, do perform, like Ed Sheeran, excuse me, like Tones and I, like Amy Shark in the NRL Grand Final, they get slammed because it's like, oh, who are they? Uh, mm. Nobody cares. Why don't they bring out Pretty much anyone over the age of like forty, pretty much is like, "Where's my Jimmy Barnes? Where's my, where's my uh, meatloaf?" I mean, let's talk about uh, that performance. Oh uh, <laughs> my god! Uh, that 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 meatloaf performance was the chewiest piece of meat I've had in probably the entirety of my life. It was so bad. It was so bad. It made Nickelback sound good. That was how bad it was. Like, it made Creed sound like they make decent music. Like, that's how bad it was. I could have done better music playing with pots and pans in the kitchen. Yeah, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Oh, man. No, look, I, I want your opinion on that, though, right? Do you think that the grand final gets harshly judged? Oh, 100%. I mean... It's very difficult to cater to, you know, uh, people, you know, spanning generations. I mean, when you've got people like, you know, our age, you know, 20 or so, who just expect, you know, the current, you know, top 100 singers to be in there all the time. Get then you've got Ariana. people who are, 
yeah, you got people who are like, you know, 60, 70, who are like, they want the classics. They, they want the Jimmy Barnes. They want, you know. Get John uh, Farnham. Yeah, John Farnham, you know, um, Daryl Braithwaite, et cetera. Mm. So it's hard, you know. I think the AFL, you know, do their best to try and cater to everyone most years. Um, yeah. But yeah, I agree. I think the grand finals entertainment, regardless, always gets some kind of slack. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. It's 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 hard, and it must be so difficult as a person in the AFL who comes up with these ideas for who should perform, just knowing that whatever you manage, whoever you manage to sign for the gig, that you are going to get slammed on social media for it. I mean, the only possible solution I could think of is have like a twenty-four hour pre-game entertainment. And then just have like someone spanning like every decade since like probably like 1930. And that way just it. everyone gets catered to it, essentially. I Problem love is it. you'll probably miss half of it sleeping, but hey, at least it's there if you want it. <laughs> I like that idea. You can start it during the grand final parade. Yeah. Friday before the grand final. I like it. <laughs> I like it. AFL, you know, sign me up on a contract, you know, get me in there. I'll be a, you know, music preparation guy. <laughs> Oh, great ideas. Liam, so, AFL, no, sign, sign, sign Liam up here. He's got some great ideas. Not only that, but we can have at night, Friday night, young, younger performances or performers for a younger audience, right? So that way sure. the older audience can sleep and the young people can mm-hmm. party until 3 a.m. listening to Marshmallow. Yeah, and then, and then between like three and like six a.m., you have like the intermission. You allow your, you know, people go off do what they want. And then let's be real, most people over the age of like six are up by six, so you're you're sorted. Start again at six, and you're off you go. Listen to, I don't know. I guess Fleetwood Mac. Yep, Fleetwood Mac. Uh, you know, Jimmy Barnes. Get get all those stars from you know the seventies and such back on. Yes. For them. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Um. Joni, no. It's, it, look, it could be anyone, really, from the 70s. Though, to be honest with you, I do love 70s music. We're getting off track here. We are getting <laughs> off track. But point is... Music podcast much. <laughs> point, yeah, this is now a music podcast. Um, point is uh, that the grand final entertainment gets judged a little bit too harshly, and I think that people should be kinder towards the AFL for whoever they choose, as long as it's not meatloaf. Or like Ellie Golding accidentally lip syncing in the grand final. Uh, now on to the second part of the episode, the review of the season. We'll discuss the top three highlights, top three lowlights, the top three biggest disappointments, and the top three biggest positive surprises. Start off with your top three, Liam. What were your top three highlights for the season? Well, this kind of ties in with top three impressive interpretations of things that I had this season. Um, But, yeah, the first one for me is uh, Gold Coast managing to kind of uh, prove everyone wrong, I suppose, in a sense. Um, And I guess the highlight of their season being, well, okay, I'd be a bit harsh to say that. I won't say it as the highlight of their season, but I think the most um, impressive uh, symbol of that improvement for them was Matty Real uh, emerging. Uh, obviously, we didn't get to see him as much as we would have liked, but 
you know, I don't think anyone's going to deny the fact that, you know, this kid's got huge talent. I mean, he was, you know, right up there polling in the Brownlow votes for the first few rounds. So I think uh, that was, you know, my first highlight for the season. Um, second, you know, for everything bad that did happen this year with the football, obviously, you know, the holdup and it being stopped for months. And then obviously, unfortunately for us here in Victoria, very, well, almost no football being played here uh, the first few rounds. Um, one of the positives come from that was a lot more football being played interstate, um, which was good to see, especially, you know, for the uh, Doug Nichols round seeing football played in the heart of the country um, and up in the north, it was really good to see. Um, so that's probably my second highlight. And then my last one uh, is very much uh, timely. It was the great send-off that we got to see for uh, Gary Ablett. Uh, a couple of days ago. Obviously, it wasn't ideal. Um, as someone who was supporting Geelong, I would have liked to have seen it be a premiership. But, you know, it was still, you know, just about the perfect send-off by the result. So those Any were my injury. three highlights. Yeah, the injury as well. But, you know, like like the, uh, you know, the trooper he is, he, he fought through and at least put an effort in. That's true. That's very true. Uh, my top three highlights, I'm going to start off by saying that the first week of the finals were awesome. Oh, they were so good. Every single game was a thriller. You know what? Should have just ended it there. I would have been very happy with it ending there. No need to play on from there. Absolutely, because none of the teams still in it deserve to lose the Premiership at that point. Every single game was fantastic, from Collingwood's massive upset victory in WA all the way back to Thursday night with the power hanging on against an inaccurate Geelong team. They were, those, those games, they were the best opening weekend finals matches, I reckoned in 26 years. 1994, the the league expanded to eight finals teams back from six the previous year. First ever time that there were eight teams in the finals. And in that opening weekend, I think West Coast beat Collingwood by two points. Then you had uh, Billy Brownless, the king of Geelong. And then you had the draw between North Melbourne and Hawthorne, the first ever finals game that went into extra time. Won by North Crazy. Melbourne off the back of the King Wayne Carey. This was almost as good, if not even better than that. Just was every single game was week. every single game was unbelievable. Kind of a dour second week, but that's besides the point. My second highlight to mention is the return of Majak Daw. Yes. Great to see. We love a feel-good story in sports. And most times a feel-good story in sports is a team that comes from dead last to win the next year or something along those lines. Leicester City in England. Leicester in England. Um, the Tiger Woods. Brown. Tiger Woods, the Cleveland Browns no longer sucking. Um, yep. The Suns, as you mentioned. 
but occasionally we'll get a feel-good human story whether it's uh jason mccartney mccarthy mccartney in 2000 and uh 2003 coming back from the bali bombings or whether it's tom monaghan coming back from nearly losing his life to playing in a premiership and Majak Daw. His story is a story of human perseverance against incredible odds. And his story is a story of courage and a story of inspiration for us all. And to have him come back and have him play a couple of games, have him kick a goal or two, it just brought a smile to my face. And in the yeah, year that we've had, like 2020, where so much suffering has happened around the world, us football fans can at least take, I guess, inspiration from his story in terms of how we can bounce back as people and our lives when this pandemic is over. And so even though he was delisted, and I hope he gets picked up somewhere else. But even though he was delisted, I just want to say thank you, Mayor Jack Daw, for showing us that even when things seem hopeless, they don't necessarily have to be. Yeah. And the final highlight, uh, I was going to mention the Suns, but you mentioned the Suns already. So I'll mention instead the last four weeks for the Adelaide Crows. Uh, they were yes. nearly undefeated in September. Nearly. <laughs> nearly. But it wasn't just the fact that they won three games out of four. It was how they won. It was who they won against. Those victories that they had were unbelievable. If you would have told me back in round 11, or whenever it was that they lost to North Melbourne, I think it's round 11. I'm just double-checking it. No, it wasn't. Okay, round 11, they lost to Collingwood. But whatever. You would have told me after they lost to Collingwood and they were like 0 and 11 that they would have gone on to win three out of the last four games. They would have looked at the fixture and would have called you crazy. 35-point win against Hawthorne. Demolition job. But then to beat the Giants, who were playing for finals... And then to beat Carlton and eliminate their finals chances. An unbelievable stretch of game. Yeah, they lost to Richmond. But guess what? So did almost everyone else. So it doesn't really matter. But full kudos to the Adelaide Crows. A lot to build on in season 2021. Now, Liam, your top three lowlights for the year. Well, this one's going to gets you uh, pretty angry instantly. Um, but it has to be Essendon's just failure to make finals in general, I think. You know, they were four from their first five, four wins from their first five games with a game in hand due to the delay against uh, Melbourne. And, okay, you know, albeit they did have a horrible run with injuries, but so did, you know, many other teams that scraped into finals. You know, Collingwood had a pretty horrible run with injuries as well. They still managed to scrape in. So I think that Essendon failing to make the finals after such an impressive start has to be, you know, given attention uh, on this list. Uh, second, probably even more so than the first I just mentioned, 
I mean, GWS, like, every time I come on here, I feel like I have to start talking about them. And, you know, I hate it because it's just like, it's the same thing over and over. But let's be real, you know, when you go from runners up to 10th, you're going to get called out. They have one of the best lists in the comp. They've got an extremely talented coach. And yet they just can't seem to put it together and, you know, actually pose a serious threat. You know, very, very infrequently this year did they look like the team that they even looked similar to last year. So I think that has to be called out. And then the third thing I think is just, you know, I think something that every football fan this year can relate to, which is one of the biggest lowlights was that hiatus which we had, which stretched for the best part of three months, I believe. So, and for people uh, based in Victoria, the fact that we didn't get to see almost any football this year, um, you know, don't get me wrong, it was great seeing, you know, football being played interstate, but you still would like to see at least some football played um, at the football's home, the Coliseum that is the MCG. Um, But yeah, those are probably the three things which spring to mind as my lowlights for the season. I'll start off with my biggest lowlight because it's basically the same as yours. But when that final siren sounded at the end of round one, West Coast won against Melbourne, football was in an abyss at that moment. As was the rest of the world. We didn't know what the future held. There were there were rumors flying around that clubs would have to fold. There were rumors of relocations for certain clubs to save the league, maybe mergers. There were talks that only four of the clubs were actually financially self-sufficient enough to get through this COVID break and out the other side without assistance from the league. I think there were Collingwood, Richmond, Hawthorne and West Coast, if I can remember off the top of my head. Yeah, I believe that was right, yeah. And there were talks about, you know, players, whether or not they wanted to play or not, what they were going to do about the fixture, when we were going to have a grand final, were we going to play a grand final this year? You know, um, the league came out and said, I think that the latest that they were going to play the grand final was December. Were we going to get a summertime grand final? And what was going to happen to the other sporting events in Victoria as a result of this? What was going to happen to the, uh, to the cricket? Were we going to get cricket at all this year? What about the Australian Open back in, in, in January? The Melbourne Cup, will that happen? Okay, maybe the Melbourne Cup wouldn't be a massive loss. But still, it, would have, it, it was such a time of uncertainty for sports in general across Australia and the world. And it was mm-hmm. such a bleak 100 days or so for sporting fans. And I am fully aware that in a pandemic there are bigger things to worry about than whether or not a silly game is played. I fully get that. But sports still, is life for some people. Sports is, sports is life for some people. And in moments where there's great suffering, people look for escapism and sports can provide that. Mm. And for a hundred days or so, it didn't. And so that was... I mean, that was scary. When the when the world throws you pandemics, what more do you love, you know, than just seeing people crunching each other <laughs> on, the, on the footy field, exactly. whether that be NRL or AFL? 
Exactly. Nothing more satisfying than seeing fully grown men collide into each other. Anyways, <laughs> so that for me was one of the biggest lowlights. Another one, you already mentioned this as well, kind of copying off of your list, but nevertheless, the Giants. What so giant about year. the Giants? Uh, to, I think if there was one game that summarized their year, it was the loss against Sydney. Coming into that game, the Swans were 16th, I believe. And the Giants were just inside the top eight. They had, they were still in the hunt for a top four spot by that stage of the year. Both teams had come off the bye. They were supposed to be refreshed. Coming up against a team that though they were the big brothers, the Swans had very much over the last couple of years been the little brothers in this relationship. And the, the Giants had truly become the Giants. They'd outgrown them. Exactly. <laughs> My God, the puns. But the Giants <laughs> were cut down to size. How about that for a pun? <laughs> the beanstalk was sliced in half and the Giants fell from grace. It was an embarrassing performance. Consider this. Their only three goals of the game came from dodgy umpiring decisions. If the umpires hadn't been so blind, hadn't been so... No, I can't say stupid. I don't want to insult anyone. But still, if the umpires had paid those You're decisions... You already insulted blind people, the, mate. You might as well go full send. <laughs> but if the umpires had paid those decisions properly, then the Giants would have ended up zero goals, seven. And they would have lost by just under 10 goals, a far more accurate representation of that result. Maybe, maybe it's just because I was hoping that the gods of karma would catch up on the Giants for them snatching that victory away from Essendon in their previous matchup. Or maybe it's because I'm also a Sydney Swan supporter, but that game was glorious (laughs) for me. But it also shut the door, in my mind, of them being a serious premiership threat. For good. Good riddance, GWS. Third low light of the year. I don't want to say Essendon. Okay, I'll say Essendon. Right. Actually, no, do you know what? I won't. I won't. I'll say the the off-field distractions that the AFL has had to deal with. From Conor McKenna's positive-slash-negative COVID results to Steele Sidebottom wandering out the wrong door because he didn't remember where the bathroom was to the punch-up with two Richmond players outside a Gold Coast strip club. Just every single thing that the AFL had to deal with this year. Also, a Wimbledon classic between Collingwood staff. Oh, without a doubt, match of the year. Nadal versus Federer, (laughs) who... Every single thing that the AFL had to deal with this season was complete and utter rubbish. And you had to feel for them, right? Because it would have felt like they were tearing their hair out, right? Oh, and if they didn't have any hair because they're bored, they would have chewed their fingernails to the bone. 
just sitting there nervously thinking, will the government shut down the season? Will the government shut down the season? So for me, that was the three lowlights. Now we go on to the three biggest positive surprises. Liam, you go first. What was your three biggest positive surprises for season 20 zero? Well, I kind of already mentioned it and I'm kind of building on it, but obviously I mentioned like Matty Rao um, and I think more broadly, Gold Coast were just, uh, at least for the first, you know, five, six games of the season were just a breath of fresh air to the footballing community. I think, you know, for the last, well, since, since I've really come into the competition, they just haven't really been serious competition. They've had years where they've been okay. They've looked like they're going to, you know, push on. But for the most part, they just haven't really been able to mount a serious challenge. And, you know, albeit by the end of the season, they didn't, you know, manage to get, you know, really within, you know, close distance of the finals. But um, I think that the, just the effort that Gold Coast provided um, was the first thing that I would uh, say was the biggest uh, improvement that I saw. Uh, secondly, uh, it has to be Port Adelaide. I mean, coming out of nowhere, really, you know, 10th last season to minor premiers, you know, pretty much the complete opposite of GWS in many senses. Um, so credit to Port Adelaide, you know, Ken Hinckley and Koshi were right. They did have what it takes. Uh, well, almost, they almost got there. Um, and then third, I think it's a bit more narrow, but, um, and a bit more left of field, but I'm going to say Tom Hawkins. I think his season was remarkable. Most contributions, goals and assists, uh, I, for one, was starting to think that maybe the best of Tom Hawkins was behind him. And then he came out and said, no, gave us the fend-off, sent us all flying, and just pulled out what was one of the most impressive full-forward, all-the-round game seasons that we've uh, seen in a long time. And you know, what was most impressive beyond just the goals he kicked and the assists he got was the fact that he was just an absolute boss in the ruck contest as well. Inside Ford 50, he just absolutely manhandles whoever he was up against. Like, even in the grand final, you know, watching him against Nan Curvis. Nan Curvis was getting thrown away out of the contest by Hawkins. So, I think for me, Hawkins' impressive 2020 was uh, the third imp big improvement for the year for me. I wish I said a number bigger than three because now I have to narrow my list down. Uh, <laughs> I'll start off by issuing a couple of apologies to a couple of clubs. First off to Melbourne, who I said was going to finish dead last. Stone cold motherless last, actually, I think is what I said. And I think that they had an incredible season and full kudos to them because their season was really right up until they were unlucky not to make finals in Melbourne. Really, they were unlucky not to make finals. And yeah, sure, you can look at the losses that they had against Sydney and Fremantle late. Or you can look at their big loss against Port Adelaide and think, well, maybe they weren't ready quite yet. But they nearly beat Richmond. They nearly beat Geelong. So if those games, you know, a couple, couple of moments went their way in those games, they would have made finals football. And who knows, it could have changed the finals race entirely. 
had they beat Richmond and Geelong, who knows what the grand final would have been. But for me, that has to be one of the biggest positive surprises for the year. Melbourne, full kudos to you. Great position to launch into a final series in 2021. Second, Geelong. I, at the end of last year, tipped Geelong to finish eighth, I believe. Uh, that ladder is still up on my fridge here in Dubai. <laughs> then back in round two in our podcast, I think I tipped them to miss finals football because I looked at their performance against GWS back in March in round one. And then I looked at the fact that they had the oldest list in the competition. I was thinking, where is the improvement going to come from? You know, I thought that they already had their opportunities and they blew them. Uh, well, egg on my face. They were unstoppable Geelong for most of the year. After that little hiccup against Carlton, they were a juggernaut. And full kudos to them for an unbelievable season. Yeah, sure, lost grand final. But an unbelievable season for Geelong. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're up there towards the top end of the ladder again in 2021. Even though I do think Gary Ablett is a massive loss and potentially Harry Taylor too. But still, phenomenal year. And third, this one's a little bit left field. But the state of Queensland coming through for AFL, for a state that doesn't give a flying monkey about AFL, to come and save it, to house it, to house however many teams, to play as many games, to the Queensland government and to the people of Queensland, thank you from the bottom of every single football supporter's hearts. Thank you. And to the people in WA and South Australia who are saying, oh, why didn't we host the grand final? Because it's only fair. It's only fair that the Queensland government and the Queensland people and Brisbane get rewarded with the grand final. Maybe if WA's borders were more open or South Australia's borders were more open, they would have been able to host the grand final. And once again, I'm not criticizing South Australia WA for having tough borders. I get it. It's a pandemic. Totally understand. And I understand that Victoria dropped the ball. You want to be careful. That's totally understandable. But to the people of Queensland, thank you for opening your hearts and your backyards for us. Thank you. Not thank you for the 2019 election, but thank you for the 2020 AFL season. And now we move on to the top three biggest disappointments. I'll start with this one. This one is perhaps no surprise at all for anyone who knows me, but I happen to be a fan of the Essendon Bombers, and boy, oh boy, did we bomb this year. Oh, wow. That second half of the year. As soon as we actually really, it was the last two-thirds of this season. As soon as we lost to the Dogs, it was just downhill. It was just downhill. Engine failure. Engine failure. We got hit by en enemy fire. 
a pigeon flew into our engine, something just went horribly wrong, and we crashed into the Essendon airfields, and we exploded into a giant ball of fire, and that ball of fire, we then consumed the ashes of, and that was our 2020 season. That was our 2020 season in a nutshell. Okay, it wasn't just the fact that we lost a lot of games in the back end of the year. That's one thing. It was how we lost. It was the 42-point loss against the Dogs. It was the 68-point loss against the Cats. It was the heartbreaking loss, the choke against the Giants, the game we could have and should have won and had stolen from us by the umpires against Richmond. Yes, I'm still salty about that. What? Come at me. It was the forehead game against Carlton, but we fell a forehead short. Townsend, just kick a torpedo. What are you doing? And then, of course, it was the 50-point loss against Port Adelaide. And it was the loss against Melbourne in the game that, if it was played in round three, given how both teams had played at the start of the year, we probably would have won. No offense, Melbourne fans, but we probably would have won that. Every single way we could have lost, we did. It was incredible. It was like, uh, it was like um, one of those uh, wheels that you spin, and each we, the wheels divided into different sections, and each section there's like something listed of the ways that you can lose painfully. Oh, okay, yeah, sure. We'll lose by under a goal this week. Why not? We'll spin the wheel and see which way we can lose painfully this week. Oh, okay. 70-point loss. Why not? Oh, okay. Goal after the siren to the opposition. Sure thing. Heartbreaking umpiring decision that costs us the game. Why not? And then to have the off-season we've had. Bye-bye, <laughs> sad. Bye-bye, Danaher. Uh, and bye-bye, Fantasia. It's not I, a great time. <laughs> it's not a fun time at the moment to be an Essendon supporter. But do you know what? The only, the only possible way is up from here. So at least I have hope for that. Unlike the Giants. Oh, the Giants. What on earth are you going to do about them? Leon Cameron has got to be the worst coach in the competition. Because to have had the talent that he's had, and some of them already started to go, he's sure has gone. Jeremy Cameron, probably to Geelong, gone. To have had the list he's had, and to not only not win a premiership, but to have all these players suddenly leave the club. And it's not, sorry, suddenly. This has been happening for years. Giants just walking out. To have had the best team on paper, or the second best team on paper, for the last three or four years, and to only make one grand final, and in that grand final, get annihilated, get crushed, get eviscerated. Bringing eviscerated back. It's back. It's back. <laughs> it's making its return. It is. <laughs> but to 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 have that as your record 
since taking over as coach from Kevin Sheedy is an abysmal failure. Abysmal. And the loss against the Saints, where you kicked only like four behinds in the second half, summarized your season perfectly. I can't believe. I feel like someone who's just found out that their long-term boyfriend or girlfriend or partner has been cheating on them for like six months. And now they're saying, I can't believe I was so blind to it. I can't believe I trusted you. I can't believe I trusted you, GWS. You broke my heart. I thought you were the one, but now you're not. Guess what? We are over. No longer will I be trusting you. Third low light of the year. Injuries. Now, we knew that injuries were going to play a part. I don't think anyone knew that they were going to play this much of a part. Just to the, the perfect microcosm, the, the perfect example of injuries this year ruining the game is the grand final and that brutal, brutal opening quarter. When in the space of 10 seconds, Gary Ablett went down, redoing his injured shoulder. And Nick Vlosten got KO'd by Paddy Dangerfield. Who, by the way, got off. Can't believe it, but he got off. And then later on in the game, Simpson gets put to bed. He gets put to sleep. That was hard like to he watch was that. A, like I, I can't believe the amount of injuries that they had. And yeah, you're right, that one was tough to watch. It was Absolutely brutal. I'm, I, I sincerely hope that he's okay after watching that. That was absolutely horrifying to watch. It wasn't just the action of the collision in there. It was then the head slamming onto the Gabba turf and then Sam Anagola landing on top of him as well. It's just like, ah, oh, God. If I was a parent watching that, I would turn to my child and say, you are never, ever playing this sport. Never. I don't care. I don't care, you're not doing it. And if you are, you're, you're, you're playing it wearing American football pads <laughs> and a helmet. How about you, Liam? I'm going to be somewhat harsh in some people's eyes because I'm actually going to call out teams who, for the most part, actually had good seasons, but I think moments that defined their seasons cost them. Um, the first being my beloved Collingwood. I'm just going to call out their general attacking play. Collingwood have one of the most star-studded teams in the comp. You know, you name it. They've got, you know, Dugowie. They've got Jamie Elliott, Jaden Stevenson, Brody Majacek, Mason Cox, all, you know, people who can play down in that forward line amongst others. Yet, probably for the 90% of the season none of them were firing on all cylinders. And I think the big problem for Collingwood was, you look back at the year that they very nearly won the Premiership, 2018, every one of those players, every game was at least getting one or two, sometimes three goals. They were all just chipping in like a good team does. Everyone does their job. The forwards were all chipping in, whether it be with, like I said, one, two or three goals a game. This year, you'd be lucky to see one of them get on the score sheet. Jordan Degoe carried us through the games where he was available for the most part. So I think Collingwood's forward line really deserves a bit of a, 
you know, calling out for how poor their season was. They were the lowest scoring side in the top eight. So, you know, it says it all. You know, the, de- the defence of Collingwood deserves credit on the other hand because they did a great job to keep a lot of the games close. The second um, thing I'm going to call out is Carlton because, first of all, they're Collingwood's rival and I can't let Collingwood get, you know, torn to shreds and not at least give Carlton a go at too. But they just lost too many games that were close. And if you want to be a side which is a genuine contender for finals, you can't afford to lose all of your close games. And you know what? Granted, they didn't lose all of them, but they lost the pretty big majority of them. And I think, to be fair to Carlton, you know what? They're a young side. In a couple of years' time, they'll probably be a team which will win probably most of those. But it has to get caught out. They lost too many games that were close. And, you know, some would say they were lucky to win the few close ones they did. Credit to Jack Mutes. What a goal. Oh. And then the third thing I'm going to call out, this is going to really, really irritate a big chunk of the football community. Partly a little bit of myself because I was backing them all the way. Brisbane's final performance of the season. They're in front of the home fans. Everyone's backing them to be able to represent Queensland in the grand final, it being in Queensland, and they came out and they get absolutely smashed by Geelong. Granted, Geelong were one of the best teams, well, let's be real, the second best team in the comp, but to get smashed on your home turf with, you know, the whole of the state backing you, not just the whole of the state, a big chunk of the footballing community across the nation backing you to do it and you go and get absolutely smashed. You get your score almost doubled by the opposition. I mean, that really just was a bit of a letdown, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, those are my three disappointments for the season. I know that you said to me when we were discussing the topics for this episode that it was too early to predict the 2021 premieres, but I say it's never too early to predict the 2021 premieres. So, Liam, who will play off in the 2020 Grand Final and who will win it? 20, I mean, 2021. I was going to say, I was like, if you ask me the 2020, I can tell you that right away. In fact, I can give you every piece of information about that as if I'm a psychic. I can give you the exact score and I could give you the <laughs> half-time margin too. Um, I hate making predictions like this because I dread the thought of coming back in 12 months' time and having my pants pulled down at my prediction. Too bad. But but in the spirit of the podcast, I will make a prediction and I will give reasoning. Um, But here it is. Essentially, we can only go off what we've seen. And what we've seen is Richmond in the Premiership this year and look good while doing it. So Richmond are my favourite to win it again. But I think there's two teams who I think are serious threats to that going into 2021. One of which I think will be in the grand final alongside Richmond if I'm basing it off of who I think will be there. Those two teams are Port Adelaide and Brisbane. So Brisbane fans, don't worry. I am giving you some credit here today because I think Brisbane have the most promising 
list in the comp in the sense that they have got so many young talents in that team and they've got so much potential to build on what they have been doing for the last few years that I think it's highly unlikely that they do not make a grand final in the next two, three years. So I think they are the biggest threat to Richmond. I think that they will face off against Richmond next year in the grand final. However, I think another team who are definitely a threat to those two is Port Adelaide, who similarly have a very promising list. Uh, not quite as young as Brisbane. They obviously have you know, a lot older players as well. Um, but there's a lot of promising players on that Port Adelaide list. They've had a great year. Um, you know, they just got, you know, quite unlucky uh, in the preliminary final against Richmond. That was a, a very, very entertaining game, which could have gone either way. So I think that Port Adelaide and Brisbane are the biggest threats to the Richmond side. But I do think Richmond currently are my favourites to win the 2021 Premiership because I look at their squad and I think unlike the likes of Geelong, Richmond's team is in their prime and still has the ability to be doing so for another few years. You know, okay, Rewalt and Cochin at 32. They might be, you know, have a, a couple of years left in them tops. But then you look at Lynch, still young. Prestia, still young. Shea Bolton, still young. D Dustin Martin's not even 30 yet. Like, they've just got so much coming through and so much still in their prime that I think it's highly unlikely that we don't see Richmond making a serious push again next year. So Richmond are my favourite, but I do think there are teams like Port Adelaide and Brisbane who could pose a serious threat. I like it. I like it. Here's my early grand final tip. Because it's so difficult to make three grand finals in a row, let alone win three in a row, I'm tipping Richmond to just miss out on the grand final next year. And I'm tipping the grand final to be played between two teams that for most of this year, I thought this year's grand final was going to be played between Port Adelaide and Brisbane. I think Port Adelaide are set to have a 20, a 2000 Essendon like season in 2021. You know, Essendon in 1999 suffered that shock, heartbreaking loss against Carlton, came back, dominated the season. Port Adelaide this year, upset, lost at home. It was an upset loss, that loss against Richmond. Close, heartbreaking game, game that they could have won, probably should have won. They'll come out and they'll dominate 2021. And I think Brisbane will take that next step. I just don't think they're quite ready yet to win the premiership. So I have Port Adelaide taking it out against Brisbane. But that is for next year. As for this particular episode, thank you, Liam, for joining me. Uh, there's no football. So there's no point in me wishing you well for this coming weekend set of games. Um, I guess you can wish me well in the you. trade period. Yeah, I was about to say, good <laughs> luck for the trade period. Jeez Louise, it could be talked about before it being a depressing one for me. It could be an equally depressing one for you. Very well, could be. And thank you, dear listener, for listening to this episode of the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Casper McLeod. And until next time, I wish you farewell.